Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for uscfootball.com. We're counting down to Pac-12 Media Day and, of course, USC Fall Camp and the 2017 season. Much anticipation for the Trojans, Sam Darnold, and all that. we got to talk to Sam Darnold this week, so we're going to get Dan Weber's thoughts on what Sam had to say what the team is looking like, all of this heading into as the summer workouts kind of wind down, and then we head into fall camp. If you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address, or you can call us at 424-254-9141. You can call or text 424-254-9141. Send us a voicemail. We'd love to play them on the air for you. Uh, send us a text if that's easier for you. Or just our email, podcast at uscfootball.com. If you'd like to subscribe, itunes.com slash Podcast. That's our own URL on iTunes and all the different uh, podcasting platforms. Leave us some positive feedback. Tell your friends if they're Trojan fans, hey, you guys should be listening to the Peristyle Podcast, because I do. Uh, it's very popular out there. We thank you for, uh, this is our 10th year uh, covering the Trojans for the Peristyle Podcast. And of course, uscfootball.com, we've been around for over 20 years, but the podcast a decade old now, which is kind of cool. So uh, without further ado, we're going to talk to Dan Weber here. What is up, Dan? How are you? Oh, uh, we're getting closer. And that that's, uh, I was uh, looking at my calendar, filling everything in, and I realized second half of July, there's a whole lot more stuff to fill in of what's coming. You know, it's just like, okay, now we're we're really getting there. And there's a whole lot of, a lot of stuff going on, and, and that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And we're, uh, especially just on the site, um, on uscfootball.com, we're going to have some changes too, right before fall camp, right before Pac-12 media day. So it's going to be a little crazy. And, uh, I just had a training class this morning. I think, Dan, were you in the training class too this morning or? Yeah, yeah I did. I did do, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, it's not bad. I mean, obviously, uh, the end product is, uh, is, is, uh, is a clear upgrade and all of that. I, I do. You know, in my lifetime in, in media, uh, I think of all the, uh, classes conducted by, you know, the experts and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and they know so much more about what they're talking about than you do. And you sit there and think, huh, how do you get from there to there? <laughs> he just went there because he knew how to get from there to there <laughs> and why. So you realize, okay, this may take three or four times to get it uh, to the point where we want it to be but uh it, it certainly looks like a good uh good place to be yeah when we get there so and what, that's great yeah so what we basically we got trained on a new cms or it's a, i think it's an acronym for content management system for so for we're a rep website we produce content online we need a system to produce that content so you guys well, can I'm all glad read you it. told me that i i see i hear that they kept talking about the cms and i'm thinking country music <laughs> uh let's see what uh, 
<laughs> right. CMS. I was just going to go CMS. Is, I, I'm good with CMS. Okay, content management. Very good. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So it's how we manage, how we would produce. So if you read a story on uscfootball.com, there's got to be a way for us to put it up there. It doesn't just magically appear. So we would write it. You know, A lot of times we write it in like a Word document or something, and then we paste it in, add the photos, links, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of kind of uh, background information that needs to go into that, links to particular players. Uh, you know, there's a database and all that kind of stuff. So that's this is kind of how the sausage is made. But anyway, the whole point is uh, Scout is now part of CBSI uh, and 247 is part of that. So we're all going to be under the same umbrella. CBS uh, owns 247 and Scout, but will be separate websites still. Uh, but the, the, the platform that Scout and all the Scout sites, including uscfootball.com, will, will reside on is based on the 247 technology, so what you see over at 247 right now. So there's a lot of upgrades, and they're going to make even more stuff. There's some stuff that Scout did a little bit better that they're going to fix and make sure that both sites have that now. So it's it's going to be a win-win for everybody. I think uh, people are going to like it, but it's going to be a change. So right now, in a couple of weeks, we're all supposed to move over to that. So we, we're getting trained up behind the scenes to make sure it goes well. But uh, hopefully it does, because it's going to be right before Pac-12 Media Day, and then, of course, fall camp, and we'll be... Rocking and rolling by the time fall camp rolls along, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting how they were, uh, of course, we're all watching the uh, SEC media days that go on forever this week, and uh, and they were kind of talking about how stuff always happens at the, you know, one time, and I guess uh, 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 Houston Nutt is now suing Ole Miss for the, for the bad things, apparently, they've been saying about him in this uh, current NCAA you know, investigation and whatever, and apparently, uh, you know, when they fired him, they they told you, you know, we won't say anything bad about you, you don't say anything bad about us. But apparently, uh, I guess, uh, near the uh, signing date in 2016, apparently the storyline out of Ole Miss was, well, that stuff all happened when Houston Nutt was here. That is, that's not our problem much anymore. And Houston objects. Well, his lawsuit, I guess, hit 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 the news today. So they're all scrambling down at, you know, SEC Media Day to try to cover this on top of everything else. So uh, it, it is one of those deals where stuff seems to, you know, just sort of, you know, happen more and more uh, at the same time you've already got stuff to cover. So uh, so that made it uh, made it a fun day at, uh, at the SEC Media Days today, certainly. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love watching it. I want to compare what happens from, you know, the SEC, which is, you know, the – that's the that's the template you want to go. You want to shoot for something like that. So how close the Pac-12 gets to it? Well, there's always always disappointments <laughs> when we go, but you know I like to see what they're doing, and then you can see. You know I'll watch some of the other ones too, but mostly the SEC because they do such a thorough job covering it, and then we'll we'll see what the Pac-12 does. Um, but you know specifically, Dan, with the USC team, we got a lot of questions today, but we were able to go to a workout. Now I was I was out of town last Friday. For our former beat writer at uscfootball.com, Dan Weike, he's getting married. Uh, he had a bachelor party up in Lake Tahoe, so I was up there. So I thought there was supposed to be a workout Thursday, which when they normally were. So I was leaving Thursday afternoon. Turns out they moved the workout to Friday. And then I was like, oh, crap. So I was going to miss the workout. This was going to be the first one where we could talk to players. And then turns out, so you show up. Uh, we had a couple other people show up. And they canceled the workout the last minute, which was certainly unfortunate but they rescheduled it for tuesday so we got to go out there and kind of check things out and talk to sam donald really for the first time 
uh, in a while since spring since spring football. So I I don't know what you thought of that. I mean, if you want to give people the thoughts on how that yeah, all went down. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, uh, it was obvious the reason, you know, you want to – and it's so clear every time you go you want to talk to Sam. And so we try not to do it every time. But the first time back with the summer that he's had, you know, going to uh, the Manning Passing Academy and then um, uh, uh, then the opening at Nike and breaking the record for Camp Castlers, although nobody had any idea what the record was that he broke, how he broke it, what how they scored it and all that kind of thing. So there were just a lot of things you felt like you had to ask, for, you know, Sam about about your son. You know, it was kind of like one of those assignments that, you know, grade school kids get when they get back and you know, in school, uh, after the summer vacation, you know, or they ask them to write about, you know, what happened in your summer vacation and all of that. So we had a good time talking to Sam about what, what he did, what he learned, what he experienced, all that kind of stuff. I thought it was really neat that he really picked up on, on the off the field stuff of the Manning family. And I had luckily gotten to know them years ago with a, uh, traveling college football hall of fame and had seen them when the, when they were kind of young, the, the kids and gotten to know Archie a little bit. And it was good. I was, I was really glad to see that Sam picked up on exactly the same thing that I had, had always known about the, uh, the Manning family about how they treat people and how, you know, as much as it is about football and, how you, you know, how you study film and how you read things and all that. Uh, it's how they treat people off the field that really sets, sets them apart. And I, I think Sam totally picked up on that. That was really, really neat. Uh, it was fun to hear, you know, Sam say how cool it is if, uh, you go in a, you know, a room in Thibodeau, Louisiana and the whole Manning family knows who you are. Uh, he thought that was pretty cool. And, you got to admit that is that is pretty cool, and uh, and then he explained how uh, how he you know set the record for the you know highest score of any camp counselor, and, and ten, they tend at Nike at the opening to you know bring in the top quarterbacks over the years, you know in college as counselors, and uh, a lot of it was throwing on the run and and, and movement uh, and you know hitting targets with with accuracy, moving down the field, which is what Sam does just so absolutely well and it's probably no surprise that he uh broke the record with uh you know with the kind of a you know a, a, a grading system that would really play to his strengths so uh uh but then we also talked to him about you know working on the things that maybe aren't his strengths and that's throwing the deep ball and throwing it with more trajectory and how Deshaun Watson you know, talked about you can be really tempted to try to throw that ball on the line with great accuracy the way Sam threw that game-tying touchdown against uh, Penn State at 27 yards, and he just threaded it through three people and absolutely perfect. But you can't throw the 30 and 40 yard, more than 30 yards and more than 40 yards in the air. And uh, you got to, you know, Throw, you know, put it, put a different trajectory on it, and you got to let guys run under it. And he's clearly working on that. Uh, I thought it was interesting. He was number one in the country. Pro Football Focus does some great statistics, and Sam was number one in the country against uh, the blitz, number two in the country against pressure, 
terms of uh, completion percentage, and uh, and yet he was down in the 40s uh, uh, on passes that traveled over 20 yards, and and also in the 40s a little lower on passes that traveled more than 30 yards in the air. So uh, he got some he got some work to do there, and he knows it. Uh, I think the other thing, and there has been written about, oh, he's got a hitch in his delivery. He really doesn't. He's got a tendency at times when he has time, he will drop the ball below his, his waist. Just, he can do it because he's athletic enough that he can make up for that. Now, it's not the best habit to have, and it's only on occasion. I mean, there are a lot of times he doesn't drop the ball at all. He just has uh, the ability to deliver the ball in so many different ways that, uh, and the athleticism and the accuracy and the footwork and all that to make it happen. But I think they are, you know, really, he and Jordan Palmer, who is his quarterback coach, are really working on just don't drop the ball down. You don't need ever, you know, to drop the ball below your waist. Uh, and so it's just a little discipline. It's like, uh, you know, a catcher throwing the ball to second base, you really want to catch the ball, you know, at your shoulder. You want to move so you get the ball pretty much off your right shoulder so you don't have to you don't have to do anything else except catch and throw, catch and throw. And I think that's what Sam Sam is working on. So he he said that, you know, for the people that say, you know, he's gonna make a big change in his uh delivery, that that's just that wouldn't make any sense. His delivery is too good. But if there's a place where he can keep from maybe elongating that delivery a little bit, even if he it doesn't really work against him that much, there's no need to do it. So just clean that up, and I think that, that's what he's doing there. But, but is this a good time to kind of catch up on everything that, uh, that you know, relates to Sam and, and where this team is because uh, – you know, we can't overstate it how important he is. We, uh, it's funny, uh, at people, you know, sources calling down on the phone, you can tell. Um, it's like when oh, someone, yeah. When, yeah. when a player does something well and you're like, well, this could be better, this could be better. It's like, he's successful. Do you really want to screw with it? I think, uh, Coach Harvey Hyde had a funny story when he was coaching Randall Cunningham, who was, I guess, leading the nation in punting. And like the special teams coach was trying to like change the way he was doing something. And coach Harvey, I said, stop that. He's doing, you know, he's leading the nation. Don't change anything. So yeah, he's, he's really good. And, and Randall yeah. was a good example because he, especially the way he threw the ball, I was in Philadelphia and you got to cover him some there. And there were people who kind of wished that he was so athletic, you know, when he was younger that he could almost do anything, but the way he delivered the football was on every throw at every time. He did have an elongated uh, delivery where he got the ball, you know, below his waist, uh, and and that didn't work as well. I mean, he still had some great moments uh, in, in the NFL. Would he have been better off maybe uh, a little bit? Probably. Had he, he gotten a little more discipline? The problem is, if you're already very, very successful doing what you're doing, it isn't easy to change it. it, it it's not. Uh, but, it, but, it, but Randall's was different because in terms of his throwing, he, uh, he did it every time and it didn't work. Whereas Sam, he only does it when he's able to do it. He's able, I mean, the, the great 
skill that Sam has is this, he's got a, this sensory awareness of where he is, where defenders are, where receivers are, where, you know, the, you know, the pursuit, the pressure is coming from. And he has the ability to adjust on the fly with every part of his, you know, his feet and his hands and his eyes and his head. And, uh, so Sam doesn't have exactly the same delivery every time, although by the time he gets to the finish of his delivery, it's the same delivery. But how he gets there, how he gets his arm to that place, it's not always the same. And, and with Sam, I don't know that that's a, that's a negative other than just don't put the ball in a place where it doesn't have to be, uh, just because you are athletic enough to get it from there to your receiver and not lose any, not lose any time or accuracy. But, uh, but, uh, I, I understand what Coach Hyde's saying about, you know, Randall and Randall was a perfect example of, of that. In, in probably in college and in the NFL of, well, do you want to change the guy who's, who's got a high level of success, uh, just because it, it, it might be better? Randall was a tough, that would have been a tough decision to make, you know, for Randall. He was in one of those places where he might have been able to, to change and, and do something about it, but, you're just not sure. Well, he was talking you know, about his punting. Him. It wasn't even about his throwing motion. It was like someone. Right, that, no, I, but he was the same kind of answer. <laughs> he was just a unique one of a kind. He like, my guess is, I, I mean, I saw him a little bit screwing around with punting, is that he was just so, such a, a big, you know, athletic guy that he could kind of do things not like anybody else. He just did them. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, and let's probably, had he say, disciplined his punting he might have been good enough to be an nfl punter uh but it was just you know he was just randall i mean he was just you know one of you know kind of a cam newton big athletic scrambler who could you know who could make plays um and you hadn't seen it that many in the nfl you know before randall um and more you think about it sam has some of those qualities you know, the size is, you know, kind of the same, and that scrambling ability seems a lot more accurate, uh, you know, looking down the field when he's, you know, scrambling out of a pocket and, and that kind of thing. But uh, but Randall, that's a good – that was a good one to, you know, Coach Hyde to pull out because Randall would, would – was an interesting test case. Yeah, he uh, – I, I looked it up just because I was curious. Um, he had 20 punts in his career on average. I think it was like 45 yards. A punt. He had a 91-yard punt in the NFL, which is, I think, it's still a record. I don't, I, you know, it's, it's hard to get much longer. Yeah, I mean, than... I mean, I, they would, I think they more used him as kind of that, you know, third, that punter where you're not sure if he's going to punt or not. Yeah. You know, where he could either punt or pass it or whatever. And yeah, he was, uh, he was, you know, one of a kind. He's just very, very, you know, which is why. You're not surprised when his son comes to USC and he's an eye jumper, you know, a quarterback eye jumper or his daughter is the best, uh, you know, high, you know, women's high jumper, I guess, or the potential to be the best women's high jumper in, uh, in the nation. I don't think there's any, any question. Randall was, uh, uh, an unusual athlete. Yeah. Well, we don't need to go too much on Randall, but I just thought that was funny. 
Um, yeah. Let's go. Chris has a question. USC is going to play against Texas this season, and Texas is now coached by Tom Herman. When are we going to start talking about the magnitude of this game? Ryan and Dan, your opinions. What will this game mean for USC? Fight on from Chris. See, I don't think they want any of these. Ga- I, you know, if they're going to talk about a game with magnitude, I think you got to. You know, the Stanford game Stanford, is the yeah. magnitude game, and so I don't think you're going to hear very much about Texas. And I don't think you want to make too much out of Texas. I mean, they've got three really good players or four, you know, the guys are like, you know, you know, a very good offensive tackle, a very good linebacker, a, a pretty darn good quarterback, uh, a running back who, you know, didn't get much chance last year, but, but so I don't know they've got enough pieces on defense, but I just don't think you can't point you know, just because, you know, we were all interested in Tom Herman and, you know, he would have been always one of the names that was in the hopper for the, the USC job, uh, and a, and a Southern California guy. Uh, but I just think that's not the kind of thing this team can do at all. And it's probably not what we should be doing. I mean, if you're going to point at, at a game in the first first three, the three home, three game homestand, you're going to say Stanford. You're going to point at a second game in September, it has to be at Washington State on that Friday night, the end of September. So will Texas get lost a little bit? Maybe. You know, I think when the time comes, everybody will be remembering the, you know, the Rose Bowl and Vince Young and all that kind of stuff. So you'll get plenty of uh, a pub when it happens. And we're just assuming Texas will come in having not stubbed its toe and I'm not even sure right now when I think about it what what their first two games are but usually uh I don't think they're playing Notre Dame anymore uh so uh uh you know you assume they they won't stub their toe before they get to USC and if, if they do that takes it even more but but yeah I don't think USC when you're in the national title hunt, you think you've got a team good enough to, you know, get to the college football playoffs, win the Pac-12. Uh, you really don't point to a game. Although, if you wanted to point to one, Stanford would be the one to point to. After, I don't know if, if you got to see that video where they, you know, or Stanford talking about having beaten USC eight out of the last eleven times and three out of the last four and whatever, and they have a sort of a you know, we're better than USC video out uh, this summer, which I'm thinking the USC players are going to get to see because it, you know, focuses on last year's game and, uh, you know, a couple of big, big screw-ups that USC had to give, you know, Stanford two touchdowns that they didn't have to do anything to earn. They just sent somebody out and there wasn't anybody within 50 yards of them. And uh, I think USC's kids will... Will focus there, and you know it's it's the Pac-12. It's it's your rival. It's your you know the team that's had some dominance over you. I think that's where all the attention is going. Yeah, I, I agree 100. percent That's the. I mean, it's important to to beat Texas, but you got to start three and all on the homestand. No question about. It. But the most important game by far is the Stanford game for all the reasons Dan said. That's what USC's got to be focused on. I mean, you can't, obviously, you got to take it one game at a time, all that, blah, blah, blah. But if you want to circle a game, it's not Texas, it's Stanford. Um, let's move on. Anthony in LA, he says, a lot of preseason articles and analysis of the Trojans 
constantly bring up the topic of the offensive line and questions about the wide receivers. I think the combined game time experience with the potential starting five offensive line is very underrated and undervalued. Do you agree? Thanks, guys, for the great work. Anthony and L.A. Yeah, absolutely. As, as we saw Tuesday when they when they come out with the first group, you got uh, Nico Falla, you know, coming off 12 straight starts at center. And at left guard, you got, you know, Chris Brown, uh, you know, uh, fourth-year guy, I guess, now, and with two starts. But he was right in the mix, started last year against Alabama. And then Toa Lobodon, who started since he's a freshman, uh, you know, except for his injuries at left tackle. At right guard, you got Vianney Talamabayo, who started every ever since he's been at USC, so this will be the fourth straight year. And at right tackle, you've got Chuma Doga, who started at both tackles over the last couple of years. So that's really a pretty veteran group. And... You know, well, we saw some of the big, you know, big freshmen, and we've seen guys who all of a sudden don't look like they did, like a Clayton Johnston or somebody like that, who don't look like they did when they came in as freshmen. So, uh, you know, and then and Andrew Voorhees, who was here for the spring, uh, they think, you know, it's going to be the, the best five, and they're going to mix and match and, and move guys around. But, uh, but I was looking at one stat uh, today. I think it was the college, what was it, which one, one of the college football websites, and they noted that USC dropped down, you know, they've averaged, I think, 103 penalties a year for the last five years, but they dropped slightly to 99, although USC had, I think, 99 penalties this last year, and opponents had 67, so that's still not very good. But I thought that one of the things that will happen with the seniors who are no longer here, or the, the guys who left for the NFL, not only did they take a lot of, you know, big bodies with them, they took a lot of penalties. You take out the penalties that two of those three, uh, accumulated over the years, you know, you're talking easily double digit penalties. Uh, and sometimes really crucial penalties. So I don't, I think this team will not, you know, hurt itself quite as much. I think they'll be more disciplined. Uh, you know, I think they'll be more athletic. And, uh, I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, people say, oh gosh, uh, USC only, uh, gave up 12 sacks last year. And I think there might be a misattribution to the <laughs> fact that, it was the big offensive linemen that deserve all that credit. And, and they do, you know, deserve credit. But uh, that was Sam Darnold that made it so you didn't sack USC football. You know, the USC quarterbacks last year didn't get sacked because Sam Darnold didn't get sacked. So I don't know that that changes at all, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the offensive line. So, yeah, I think if you're writing a preseason publication article, months in advance you have to pick up on something and if you're going to look at usc you can say well they lose their two all pac 12 tackles and uh, and also then damian mama and so that's kind of an easy thing to focus on and yet when you, the reality is with the toa lobendon you know ready to you know b- move back into the mix and, and chuma ha- having had as much experience as he's had and the flexibility you've got between Toa and Nico, um, 
that offensive line, I think it's a little deceptive. I think I think they could be pretty good. We'll see how they can. I mean, I think the one test that we're going to see is you know when you when they have to run the ball and their opponent knows they got to run the ball. Are they still going to be able to line up and and you know wedge it out and really get uh, you know get those tough yards? When it's third and two or whatever, I mean, I'm going to be real interested to see if if, if they could handle that. Because the one thing you could say, uh, when Damian and Zach and those guys could lean on somebody and just you know you know get a you know down block and what have you, uh, they could do that. I mean, they could just come, you know, and you could run right up their you know their rear end. Um, and so I think we need to see that. But otherwise, I think the offensive line can be uh, in pretty good shape. Yeah, I agree, Anthony. Um, it's funny. Never trust people like people in our business. I think we do a lot of things well. I think grading out and giving like awards to offensive linemen is one of the things that's really hard to do, and people just don't do it that well. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah, like that. You could say that there are all conference offensive tackles. Were they really? Uh, only, you know, one of those three guys ended up in getting drafted. I talked to a couple NFL personnel evaluators that I, that I trust and, uh, you know, they were telling me, I think USC's line will be better without those guys. So it's, uh, yeah, there's some experience coming back, but there's also some potential for USC to play, uh, even better. It's hard to tell. We're not going to know. And like Dan said, the, the low sack numbers, if you had a, a less mobile quarterback back there, they would have been uh, a lot higher. Um, so we'll see what goes on. Well, and we line. saw what happened, you know, when we did have a, le- uh, a, a less mobile quarterback, you know, when, when, Sa- or when Max was there, uh, you know, those numbers would have not been just 12 for the season. Yeah. Uh, if, <laughs> you know, if, if Max had been there. So yeah, I mean, Sam was almost unsackable by the first defender to get through. And, and often there was one, you know, there, there were. Uh, relatively high number of unblocked first defenders coming from somewhere. And, you know, with Sam in the game, that was a plus because basically the first guy never got Sam. So now, I mean, at USC, all of a sudden everybody realized it. Sam realized it. You know, the coaches realized it. That was a plus. So when they get into a game like the Rose Bowl with with Penn State, just convinced they have to get to him. And they're going to send guys from here and there and everywhere, and they had athletes, and they had been pretty darn successful all year long getting to the quarterback. And that was the big takeaway after the game. Their coaches could not believe they couldn't get to him, that he just he would beat that first guy every single time. And then this is what the second part of that was, when that happens, and that's the reason too, it was so hard to evaluate Sam versus Max in preseason because in preseason that ends a play. If a guy gets a clear open shot at a quarterback, basically plays over because you're not letting him tackle the quarterback. And uh, most quarterbacks, when that happens, they're finished. Well, Sam, what he could do was he would. He sees that first guy, and to Sam, he realizes, cool, I get to beat, I'll beat this guy. And it didn't matter who, where he was coming from or how. So Sam beats that guy. Every different way you could do it, he does it. And now, that guy's finished. He's out of the play, pretty much. 
So now USC's playing 11 on 10. And Sam's turned, you know, beaten that guy, and he's extended the play. He's, his eyes are downfield. He's, you know, the play now is lasting longer than it should have, which means USC's uh, receivers are getting to run more to open space. And the defenders are having to defend much longer than they normally would. All of those are advantages to USC, and then the biggest advantage is Sam throws the ball so accurately in that situation. So if you're USC, you almost want the other team to blitz. You almost want them also to have an un, you know a guy that's not picked up because then USC will be playing 11 on 10, and the play will take longer. And all of those are, are, are things that, that benefited USC. So it, it, the way you evaluate USC is probably not the same way you would evaluate anybody else. And, again, that was because of Sam. Let's move on to Tarek, Dan. He said, are you confident from John Houston's spring performance that size-wise he will hold up in the middle throughout the season? Well, I think everybody, you know, talks about holding up in the middle like you gotta have Dick Butkus or else you're, <laughs> you know, you're screwed. And everybody doesn't, see, USC doesn't play both linebackers the same way. And they run guys, you know, if you're in the position that John Houston's in, you maybe want a svelte athlete who can, you know, really fly for what you're gonna do with it. Now you can't have two guys like that. And you want, you know, Cam Smith to be your 6'2", 245, you know, five pound guy who wants to be in on every tackle. But, but I think, you know, you don't want two of those guys necessarily. You want somebody that can do some of the things that they need to get done, obviously. Uh, they didn't have anywhere near the, the number of sacks that they, they really needed. I think it was the 26 sacks last year. And that's just not enough. For a USC team with the athletes, uh, you know, they did almost everything else except give up, give up the really big play, the 40 yard plays. Everything else on defense, you know, was really, really improved. But, uh, but they got to get that, that pressure on the quarterback. And I think having a John Houston type, who's a legitimate 6'3, so he's got the height, got the speed. Uh, I think, uh, I think he's the right size for what they're going to do with him. And Tark also wanted to know, could Jack Jones be a better fit as an offensive player? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I just think his skill set, and he did, he had a play Tuesday where he extended it about six different times. Uh, he had so many defenders on him, uh, he didn't break away, but they couldn't get him either. I mean, they were, he was right, you know, this way, that way, you know, this, 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 and, He's, uh, he's got, you know, those things that you can't teach, uh, for sure. And some of his skill set might work against him a little bit on defense, but the need to be really, really disciplined and, and, and ba- basically just shadow, you know, the, the guy you're defending as a corner and his, you know, really desire to make plays, uh, doesn't always you know, put him in the best position, uh, you know, on defense, but, you know, on offense, you know, as a return guy and as a guy that they get the ball to in space, 
that might be uh, that might be the place. You no, know, I was one of those people who wanted to see Adore get to do more of that too. I mean, I just think that they're they're you know these guys that come along every once in a while that can do things you can't teach and. Uh, and they can put points on the board, and they can make life really difficult, you know, for people trying to defend them. So, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged that, that that's what we're seeing this summer is, uh, you know, Jack-Jack uh, getting a chance to, to show some of the stuff he can do, and he can do stuff that, you know, that will, if you're a defensive coordinator getting ready for USC, you will think, uh-oh, you know, we really better know where he is, and and and, and if that's the case, if he's in the game and you you got to defend him, that probably leaves you uh, maybe less able to defend the tight end down the middle or whatever, and uh, less able to to, to defend the run, and uh, and those are good things. We have one from Jason in Longhorn Country. Thanks for all the great work. This question's for Dan. What do you think the team captains, or who do you think the team captains will be this year, and why? Fight on from Jason. Well, if you look at what we're seeing in the, in the in the summer, uh, defensively, Cam Smith and Chris Hawkins certainly are you know the organizers and the and the leaders there. I think Uchenna Nwusu, they really put a lot of hope in in him stepping up and Porter Gustin is more animated than we've ever seen him in terms of, of talking and pointing and, you know, signaling and all that. So, so there's, you know, that's four guys on defense right now. Uh, uh, how you pick between those, you would think if you would go with the, you know, the favorite, you know, the favorites, you'd be, it'd be Cam Smith and, uh, and Chris Hawkins. Uh, you know, he's only a technically a redshirt sophomore, but it's hard to get away from Sam Darnold, you know, on offense. Uh, and the other guy who is absolutely, uh, the leader and the vocal and the cerebral, uh, you know, and the intellectual leader is, is Nico Falla. I think there's, he's just, when you talk to Nico, you're talking to uh, a spokesman, you know, for the offense. A spokesman for the offensive line, a spokesman for the team. Uh, he's, you know, a fifth year redshirt senior guy, he's seen it all, done it all, and he's a really good, he really good fix on things. So I would think you would start in those two places. Deontay Burnett is a very quiet kid, but a, you know, terrific leader and, uh, who might be in the mix, but doesn't have to be. But, uh, but that's where I, that's probably where I'd go. I don't know. Ryan probably has some of the same, you know, has seen some of the same things, I would think. Yeah. I mean, I would, I agree with you. Um, we'll see. Well, I'm, I'm not, it's funny. You wonder how many captains get named. And then you think back a few years when they named like six of them and one of them was Josh Shaw and they probably named one too many that year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, they could, they could afford to lose one, I guess. Yeah. That year. yeah. <laughs> The more you name, the more potential. Bro. You don't have to say when that story comes out, you'd have to now include, oh, he was a captain of the football team too. Um, well, and but, he actually, the crazy thing is he certainly had earned it by oh, everything. Yeah, he did. He had done to that, that absolute Saturday night. He'd done everything. You know, he would have been my pick, but 
So, you know, it's not an exact science. Uh, no, certainly not. I would say. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, you know, I feel bad. Uh, we should have mentioned this earlier on when you were talking about Sam Darnold. Curtis Marino Valley. He said, hello, Trojan fans. Uh, surprised to hear that Sam Darnold has to change his throwing motion after one of the most productive seasons in recent Trojan history. Has anyone noticed if this is helping his accuracy, velocity, or any other important area of throwing the football? No overcoaching, please. Curtis from Marino Valley. Yeah, Curtis, I think that's where you have to read between the lines when you read the stories about the the hits and, the, you know, how much. I mean, you know, I, this is where it does help if you've been a, high, you know, a coach. Uh, you know, for me, a baseball coach, you had to deal with pitchers as well, and a, uh, and a football coach that you know what they're talking about. But if, if somebody chooses to write a story that the whole part of the, you know, the story is about the big change in the throwing motion, it makes it sound like it's a really big deal. It's not a really big deal, and it doesn't sound like they're in any way overreacting or overcoaching. They're basically just trying to take one little part away, and it's not so much his delivery, it's his ball placement when he has plenty of time. He had a tendency to drop the ball you know, below his belt just because he was quick enough and accurate enough that he could take it from there and still deliver it perfectly. Uh, again, that's for all the quick stuff. I mean, the whole, you know, throwing the deep ball is, you know, with a different trajectory is something completely unrelated. Uh, so it's just a matter of saying, you know what, that habit probably doesn't help you even though it's not that negative a thing, but it's kind of separate from the idea that he has to change his throwing motion. He really doesn't, and he's not. And so, you know, it, it's kind of a nuance, but, uh, but yes, I would not, I think you've got exactly the right point, and your point is exactly the way Sam's looking at it, the way Jordan Palmer is looking at it, I'm sure the way USC coaches are. They're not changing his throwing motion. They may be eliminating one little part that only was a part of uh, occasionally it wasn't you know it wasn't you know part of everything that he did but uh yeah you know he doesn't need to do that one thing he doesn't need to drop the ball below his belt and and he's working not to he working more and i as having been a catcher he's working more to do it the way catchers do where you don't ever drop that ball you know you you catch it and you you re, you know you release it and you try to you know uh, you try to uh, step your body in a way so that you catch the ball right where you're going to throw it from and um, uh, you don't ever want to drop your arm uh, below your belt because that that part of the windup really screws you up in in baseball. In football, you have more time because, it, especially if you're, you're dropping back on a, you know, a five-step drop or whatever, and you've got time to let your receivers go, you've got time almost to do whatever you want with the ball. And, uh, and so with Sam, he at times allowed himself to put the ball below his belt, and then he would deliver it from there. It wasn't exactly part of the throw, but people could say, oh, is that a hitch? No, it really wasn't. But it was a, a little bit of a habit that he didn't need to have as part of it. So good read by you. 
Let's see. Uh, John, he said, several years ago, the Pac-12 implemented a number of scholarship reforms, including a guarantee for four years for student athletics in all sports. Uh, I assume that this means if a student voluntarily, voluntarily decides to lo- no longer play, he still re- he retains his scholarship. This would explain the EJ Price mystery, would it not? He may have violated a team, but not a university rules, and then could remain a student good standing academically, not facing uh, any university disciplinary action, even if he'd been kicked off or left the team. In his case, he would never play for USC again, and if he uh, hasn't transferred by now, sounds like he doesn't want to play football anymore. On a related note, I assume the NCAA rules apply. A kid has to sit out a year if he transfers. Uh, John. Well, uh, more EJ Price. He wouldn't be he wouldn't be on an he wouldn't be on an athletic scholarship or football scholarship if he voluntarily gives it up. If he stays in good academic standing, uh, I do think the university apparently has made that commitment. It just doesn't happen to apply. You see that more often. I mean, I was coaching kids who would go to Ivy League schools and they would get there, you know, with um, with all the aid that that an Ivy League school would give you. They'd be football players, but, but going there. And if they decided to, because of the academic you know, workload or for whatever reason, not to continue football, they're, they're uh, you know, all the scholarship aid that they were promised uh, stayed with them. And so, you know, in the Ivy League, you could keep your scholarship uh, and you didn't have to, you know, keep playing football. Uh, it's not exactly the same way at USC, but I think if, you know, if someone said, I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm good standing academically, uh, and I would really like to, you know, stay at USC, uh, I, I, I don't think they would have to allow you to do that, uh, because I don't think if you give up your, you know, your football scholarship, he don't think they're bound to you. Uh, to keep you on a, a scholarship. My guess is they would, uh, but it would be transferred and you could never go back to a football scholarship at that point. They would never allow you to go back and forth. Uh, it, it would be like a medical retirement, uh, that you can stay on scholarship with a medical retirement. You just can't ever go back, uh, after a year of being off, off, uh, off the football roster of scholarships. You couldn't ever go back and be a football player. Uh, so I think it, it's more like that, but I don't think it's, you know, to the point where you could, you know, you can quit football and say, but I still want to keep my, my scholarship. I don't think, I don't think that's the case. I think the case was more to keep people from, uh, over scholarshipping recruits and then running them off and saying, you know, you know, just basically getting rid of them. And if you look at, it's one of the reasons where if you looked at USC, even when they had full scholarships and compared it to the number of scholarships, uh, you know, awarded each year, say to a, a, a comparable SEC program, you would see more scholarships year after year after year, uh, given out by the SEC schools. And you would say, how can they do that? You know, how can you give out that many scholarships a year? For four years and still, you know, hit the 85 scholarship limit. Well, you can do it if, if you don't let those guys come back. And yeah, see, I think in the Pac-12, 
is a much different approach to you're not going to run you're not going to run anybody off but uh but I don't think they could absolutely say I'm going to give up my scholarship but I still want to keep a scholarship USC might let you but I don't know that that you could say uh that the agreement is I can keep my scholarship for 4 years no matter what yeah um, let's see, Chris and Livermore. Now, Chris sent in a photo that he did a great job of photoshopping of a USC uniform. Obviously, this is an audio podcast. I can't share that with you, but I'll read what he said. It looked pretty cool. He definitely, Chris has some Photoshop skills. Um, I'm not typically concerned with promoting or wishing for alternate uniforms, especially for USC. I think the current uniforms achieve a good balance of maintaining the classic traditional Aesthetic while incorporating subtle modern updates. With that said, boredom at this time of the year may have gotten the best of me as I began to wonder what an updated version of the striped sleeve jersey would look like. Please see the attached image, which you can't see. Uh, I would consider this a pretty conservative alternative and much closer to a throwback uniform. It did look pretty cool. It was, it kind of looks like the, the uniforms now, but it's got some of the stripes that we saw, uh, like in the nineties and stuff. Uh, he said, given the recent, this is a question for Dan, given the recent deals Cal and UCLA have made with Under Armour and USC demonstrating its appetite for revenue with the sale of the Coliseum naming rights to United Airlines, do you think USC would drop Nike if another apparel company offered a more lucrative deal? Or is USC one of the schools with whom Nike tries to preserve a strong relationship? Thanks and love everything you guys do. Chris in Livermore. Yeah, I think Nike would be very uh, uh, hesitant to allow USC to go anywhere else. Uh, I mean, I was there the night, I still remember sitting in the media room and looking out the window uh, the night that they dedicated uh, Galen and, uh, or excuse me, uh, McKay. And walking by the window, and I remember saying to somebody, there's Phil Knight. And, uh, you know, big as life, there's Phil Knight walking across the, you know, Right in front of the window, heading around uh, Heritage to uh, to McKay, and it turns out John McKay was uh, the first Nike football coach. Uh, John was a uh, an Oregon guy, an Oregon coach, Oregon player, and I think there was a a lot of you know of a relationship between with uh, John and, uh, and and Phil Knight. I don't, although I know. Nike wasn't putting out, you know, coaches shoes and all that when, when, when John McKay was the USC coach. But when you look at the statue in front of McKay, the McKay Center, he's got Nike stripes on that, on that statue. So those might have been paid for by, you know, by Phil Knight. But I think there's a really strong bond, uh, between USC and Nike. Uh, you know, they may not get as much money as UCLA was able to get out of Under Armour. Uh, not sure, you know, Under Armour products, I, you, you know, you get the sense that, uh, you know, the shoes aren't as good. I don't, I don't think there's any question. Uh, the uniforms can be, you know, if you, if you, if you like the stuff that you see, uh, Maryland wearing, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of that Under Armour look. And I, and I don't think Under Armour is in, in great shape. I mean, I'm not a, uh, you know, business analyst or whatever, but, uh, but I think, I think Nike's the place to be. And I get nervous if you go on, for example, our sister US, UCLA board. And honest to gosh, the other day, 
of the first 250 posts, I swear 175 of them were about their Under Armour deal and their Under Armour uniforms and all that. And that makes me really nervous. If your football fans are talking about your uniforms, uh, you know, the only time I, I, I went along with that was when USC was wearing the, you know, the Ronald McDonald shoes. Uh, and, and the black socks. Uh, then that was okay. You were allowed to talk about it. But now that USC's got it right, got sort of an updated classic version, you know, with the no names on the back and just, uh, you know, a, a kind of a one of a kind. I mean, it's the kind of uniform. USC was a visiting team in any stadium in the uh, SEC. You know, or the, you know, ACC or wherever, is that USCT? And that was one of the fun things in the early years with Pete when they'd be going places is there's nobody else that looks like USC, uh, on the road, especially with, you know, with such a good looking uniform that, uh, that I don't know that you need to do much to it. Uh, I really, I, I just, you know, you know, now that they got the white socks or black shoes with the white shoe strings, uh, you know, that whole, you know, kind of, you know, classic look, uh, uh, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with not having the, uh, you know, the, the helmets, uh, the, you know, the metallic, uh, you know, bright helmets, uh, you know, I like it that they don't have the old really dull, uh, helmets that if you can look back if you look at the, some of the classic games from 30 years ago and you think, Ooh, those helmet that that cardinal color was a little, uh, you know, a little too dark and too drab. So I think they've got it about in the right place. And I just think the more people don't have to talk about it, the better for USC. You just really don't. I always thought it took away from Notre Dame that they had one of the classic looks in college football. And every time they tried to go to something else and the whole green jersey stuff and all of that, you know, the throwbacks. Or, or, you know, they have one game a year where they let uh, Adidas, I guess it is, come up with with some new look. And so often it doesn't work. That I just think that takes away from it. And uh, as Oregon found, if you aren't winning football games, if you aren't winning championships, if you aren't going to the Rose Bowl in the playoffs and what have you, people really don't care much about how many different color, you know, co- you know combination uniforms you got. You know, once... Uh, you know, it really is about winning football games, and it wasn't a bad idea for an Oregon without any tradition to kind of, well, what can we do to get noticed? And they've got, you know, that obvious relationship with Nike. But once you finish that and once you start losing football games, people aren't talking about your uniforms at all. And that just kind of gets in the way. So I think I really like where USC is. I really, really like it. I think UCLA had... As much as USC people don't like it, USC, UCLA had one of the classic college football looks that was all their own. Nobody, you know, it was classic. It was back to the 50s. Uh, you could update it. And the more they played around with it, you know, showing up in all white, showing up in all black, it's just crazy. I mean, it, it just makes no sense. And uh, And so the more people do that, I think the more... I'm inclined to say USC shouldn't do any of that. Uh, pardon the rant, but that's that's where I am. I think uniforms really matter, but I don't like a lot of the you know 
the stuff that, that people try to do that looks like they're saying, hey, look at us, look at us, please, look at us. And you, you say, hey, if you play well enough, people will look at you and people will like you. And if you don't, it doesn't matter what you do with your uniform. We got a couple more topics, Dan, and we'll let you go. Charles said, uh, I was wondering if you saw this article by the USA Today. Um, so he put the link. Obviously, we can't put it here. He said, it was the top 10 college rankings for education and football combined. I haven't read this yet. Um, he said, Ohio State. I have. You have. Okay. He said, Ohio State was yeah. ranked number one. USC was number 10. Most people would be excited to crack the top, crack the top 10, not me. I'm a USC alum and thought the thought of being behind Alabama, TCU, and our rivals, Notre Dame, had me a bit upset. All of the top 10 schools listed are great, but us being number 10, no bueno. I would have thought we would have been at least top five. That's from Charles. Well, Charles, it didn't make any sense. I was going to reference it, and then I said, you know what? I can't almost reference this because it, absolutely, it was going to be a combination of where you would go to school and get an education and play for a great football program. And I think, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. But then when it had Alabama, uh, like, number five or six, and, and Ohio State number one, it threw in a really reasonable tuition. And I'm thinking, reasonable tuition? You're talking about rankings for kids to go play football. Tuition doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, it, 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 and in what world is, let's say, and a surprising number of private schools. You know, you had, uh, you know, TCU and, uh, and first of all, a top 10 listing this summer that has Baylor as one of the top 10 places to go. I'm sorry. What, you know, <laughs> who are you talking about? Uh, so that one didn't make any sense. It was nice to be always be in the top 10 if they rank 10 and you're in the top 10. Okay. Whatever. But, in no way did it make any sense. I mean, it really, it just didn't make sense because it was saying, well, you know, to be on a top program and get a, get a really good education, what are the places that combine those two? And, you know, you could probably say, you know, I think USC might do a little better job of that than TCU and Baylor. I don't know. Just, just me. And depends on how much you count education. And, and, and how do you count the education? Do you ta do you look at the graduation rates, or do you look at the school? And they did mention that USC is a top twenty-five academic institution, uh, which uh, you know Notre Dame would have been in that listing. And I'm not even sure if Stanford you know made that list. But uh, but yeah, I thought that was that list didn't make any sense, and you can't make any sense out of it. So. You know, you just say, well, we're in the top ten, that's good if you're a USC guy, and, and you let it go because it, it, it truly did not uh, make sense. Yeah, it didn't. Uh, I, I'm going to have to look it up. But, yeah, to have, like, no, that didn't make any sense. Um, okay. <laughs> Zunes, our buddy Zunes, he hasn't uh, wrote in for a while. You can follow him. He's on uh, the free board on uscfootball.com. Long, long email. I, I'm just going to try to read it to you, Dan. And get your thoughts. He said, I have personal knowledge that USC was as clean as a whistle throughout that period that the utterly deplorable NZAA has slandered, libeled, harassed, and openly attempted to crush the Trojan program. I saw this coming ever since Pete began to criticize their arbitrary 
quote-unquote God's policy first about the last-second declaration that um, Mike Williams was ineligible, then about the so-called Nick Saban rule that had head coaches that could not go personally recruit for an entire month in the spring, a ruling that Pete Carroll called weak. All should have seen this coming for many years before it did come, and as I warned the board over and over again, that they were looking for any excuse to hammer USC to smithereens, knowing that USC has been historically a favorite target school as opposed to Teflon schools like Notre Dame that, like in all caps, never get punished significantly by the NZAA, as demonstrated by the Kimberly Dunbar scandal, which I won't go to here. I would gladly clue Dan Weber in how I uniquely know for a fact that USC and Pete were, in truth, likely cleaner than any other college football program is or has been, if Dan so wishes. No time for that here, alas. But the likelihood haunts me that we cannot avoid a recurrence of this torpedo job once the Trojans are again threatening to dominate college football. What can be done to illuminate the likelihood if no one punishes the NZAA now with, a dracon- with draconian sh- sanctions for what they've shamelessly done to USC? The notion haunts me. Uh, thanks for the amazing job you've done throughout this excruciating saga. One does not criticize omnipotent gods or call them weak without expecting the very, very worst. These wrathful gods have immensely long memories and a free hand to do anything they wish. Thanks again. Sincerely, Zunes. Yes, it, uh, you know, I've made that, that, that argument that it, it started before you, you know, it started, they started getting nervous when, um, you know, 70 to nothing over a, a good Arkansas team or, you know, uh, you know, 55 14 over uh, or 19 over uh, Oklahoma. That really scared them to death because the SEC, I think, you know, were the, the, they wanted to be, they set the BCS system up, was set up by, uh, you know, an SEC commissioner, Roy Kramer. And the, the thought was, you know, we'll get it down to two teams, we'll get there and we'll be fine, you know, and we'll, We'll be lucky. We'll get a an Oklahoma, and you know we'll beat them. Uh, we'll get you know we'll get a uh, LSU there. And however we get them there, they'll get there. You know we got a chance. And they saw the Oklahoma game, I think, and it scared them to death because they thought, well, what's the good? What's the point of getting there if that USC team shows up? There must be something wrong. And, and let's face it, if you're in in a, a number of these programs, you would know from your history what you would have to do to have a team as good as, say, the USC team that, that beat Oklahoma like that. You would know for sure what you'd have to do. So they basically said, USC must be doing the same thing. Well, we know what we'd have to do, how much cheating we'd have to do to be that team. USC is clearly doing the same thing. I mean, I, I came, you know, here, had covered Kentucky basketball. I knew what it looked like when, you know, a program is, uh, in a place where technically it's probably not supposed to be, but people just demand, uh, that, you know, the program be there and it had certainly gotten out of control, but I knew what an out of control program looked like and USC wasn't anything like that it's hard to explain to people that all just happened in a way that you know with those players and those coaches and 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 and, and la at the time everything just happened you know to hit right 
but you couldn't convince the people who really wanted to take USC out that that was the case. They just knew USC was was cheating because they were, you know, they knew they would have had to cheat like that, like crazy. So they basically, what happened was they basically decided uh, in this order. The verdict came first, guilty. The punishment came second, has to be more than Miami got. Then they figured, let's just go out and get the evidence. Uh-oh, there's not the evidence. Now what do we do? Well, we extended four years, longest in NCAA history. No evidence. What do we do now? Well, what do you do? You make it up. Now, if you worry that there aren't sanctions for the NCAA, there's one coming up. It's called the Todd McNair lawsuit that is scheduled for next April in court in L.A. And uh, I think, you know, obviously the NCAA is going to change their behavior. There will never be an email written again. I mean, they're going to talk to one another, but they're not writing any emails. Uh, you know, and let's face it, they're, the NCAA has bigger fish to fry. For example, they've got a much bigger committee on infractions so they can kind of, you know, you won't be able to focus on, you know, Missy Convoy of Notre Dame or Josephine Petuto of Nebraska or Paul D. from, you know, Miami. You know, what a cast of characters that was. Or, as we found out later, these guys from, you know, Missouri who have, you know, all of a sudden, you know, just disappeared, uh, you know, from the from the committee, uh, they're much better at it. And, I mean, as we watch SEC media days and, you know, somebody comes by and says, oh, who's that guy talking to Paul Feinbaum? We say, oh, that's Greg Sankey. And, uh, well, what's he, he, what's his role? Well, he's the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference. Oh, and by the way, he's also the head of the Committee on Infractions in the NCAA. Oh, really? The commissioner of the SEC is also the chair of the Committee on Infractions? Is this a joke? No, he really is. So uh, I think if you're the commissioner of the SEC, you've got enough to worry about what's happening in the SEC country to be as worried about USC at this point in time. And because now it's a four-team playoff, which is is way better because, you know, they were so worried about USC in a two-team playoff. And that's why, you know, on a couple of the USC would have had three or four more championships if they would have had a four-team playoff, I think. Uh, but they were able to eliminate USC in other ways uh, other than just through the NCAA. Now you wouldn't be able to do that as much. Uh, so I don't think there would be the same kind of focus on USC that there was then. Uh, and because they've been caught, uh, you know, in what they did to USC, uh, and how they had to use Todd McNair to try to take down USC and all of that. And, and my guess is the next time USC would not play the part of USC, please, we'll try to win the right way. We won't do it again. Sorry, you know, just don't hit us too hard. I think USC might say, you know what? Maybe Notre Dame and Miami and North Carolina and UCLA even and other sports. Maybe that's the right way to go. Ohio State, 
maybe you fight them. Maybe you just tell them you're not going to accept, you know, being framed or you're not going to accept, you know, being treated like this. And one would guess that if this ever happens again, USC will probably take some right lessons out of what they did wrong the last time. But, yeah, I agree with you. USC was about as clean as you can be to be as dominant in college football as that, you know, as the program was through those years. And you were trying to, I I, I tried to explain that to Pat Hayden one day. (laughs) I don't think I got anywhere. I used to try to tell him, I said, you you have, you just, you can't imagine, comparatively speaking, how clean the USC program is when it's matched up against what's happening. And uh, having been in the Southeastern Conference and the Big Ten and, and other places around the country, it was uh, it was surprising what I saw, you know, when I got out to USC. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of perspective allows you to kind of tell people. But there were people here that didn't understand that. They really didn't understand how how USC looked compared to almost everybody else. They really just didn't get it. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff. Uh, yeah, we, we went over an hour, hour and ten minutes on this one, so that's pretty good. A lot of well, good topics. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to go go on too long, but those are you know those are fun things to talk about and yeah. interesting thing is a lot of them are still they still matter and. And, and, and are up for discussion. And there's a lot of, lot of discussion you can do about, you know, a lot of these things. And we didn't even mention the Coliseum. No. Okay. We're going to, we're going to end it before we start going into that too. Uh, all right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Make sure you check him out on the site on uscfootball.com. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle podcast. We're going to plan on doing a recruiting podcast tomorrow for uscfootball.com members only, but check that out with Gerard Martinez. We've got a lot of, Recruiting questions, and uh, hope you enjoyed this one. Hope you enjoy that one, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.